Welcome to Wealth Matters podcast number 5. This is your host Alpesh Parmar. Today we'll be chatting with my good friend and my CPA Jake Adams about real estate professional. Hey, welcome Jake to the Wealth Matters podcast. How are you doing today? Great, how are you? Good, thank you, Jake. Uh, so I, I've known Jake for a while. He's my CPA and, of course, a, a friend as well who I reach out to when I want to discuss anything about the business, taxes, and a lot of other things. Uh, so, uh, Jake, can you tell us about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a CPA. Um, I've been a CPA for the past uh, five years. Um, I have a private practice on my own, and uh, I focus on real estate professionals and uh, real estate investors because uh, there's a lot of questions that comes up uh, especially regarding real estate so I like to be able to add a lot of value um, to the real estate community um, by being a specialist or an expert to to them as a community so um, Jake you just mentioned about uh, real estate investor who I am as well uh, but you also said that real estate professional and I think I want to focus uh, on uh, during this podcast on real estate professional or we would refer them as REP uh, during the podcast. So what is a real estate professional? Is that a realtor or a broker or who would, who, who is a real estate professional? Yeah. So in casual conversation, it can mean a number of different things, but when it comes to the IRS and looking at taxes, um, there's a very specific reason that you would want to become an REP or a real estate professional as the IRS would, would set it up. Um, and the main thing for that is the difference between active and passive um, losses uh, or, or income on your taxes. So let me give you an example. If you are, uh, so you're just getting started out and you have your first rental. So if you have your first rental property um, and you have a loss on it, most rental properties do have losses because of depreciation, you're probably going to want to set offset your other income, right? Maybe you have a business or a job or some right. wages, some W-2 stuff. You're probably going to want to offset that with the losses from your, from your uh, rental property. So unfortunately, we more than likely can't do that. Um, and there's a whole bunch in there. I'm not, I'm not going to bore everybody to death. If, if you want to, <laughs> the nuts and bolts of it, it's section 469. Um, section 469. 469. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you ever need help falling asleep at night, just go ahead and read. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so basically section 469 talks about this real estate professional um, and the difference between active and passive um, real estate. Right. So like in the example that I gave, this is your first rental property and you've got other stuff going on, other income coming in. You're going to want to offset that. Uh, but the IRS basically says, no, you can't do that um, because you're not actively participating in it. And a lot of people oh. say, well, I am actively participating. You know, I, the, the dishwasher broke and I, I decided the, the new dishwasher to, to, to get. And, you know, the, the tenant had a problem, so I needed to paint it and I went and painted it. Well, the IRS, they understand that, but at the same time, they don't actually qualify that as active participation. You know, there's not enough in it to qualify that as active to offset your other income. So oh, that's yeah. really where, where a lot of this comes into play and where it's really important, especially for new investors to understand, you know, what is active and what is passive. So, um, so basically when we're looking at this, we want to see, figure out how we can get either these uh, passive losses as active 
or we got to look at other things that can create passive income that would offset this passive loss that we're having from the rental properties. So, uh, so when I'm working full time, uh, that's my active income, right? Exactly right. So the IRS, when they're looking at a, at a real estate professional or this REP, there's two tests that you have to, that you have to meet. Um, one of them is the more than one half of the personal services that you perform in all trades or businesses for the tax year must be performed at real property trades or business in which you materially participate. So basically you have to spend more time on real estate in activities and investing and stuff like that than non-real estate activities to prove that you're earning your living in the real estate world. So this would be the, the, the best example for this is someone that's a real estate broker or real estate developer um, that's spending a lot of time doing construction or other real estate deals and other real estate activities and other real estate type activities. You know, they're going to be looked at as a real estate professional. Whereas if you're doing technology um, or you have a, a, you know, another type of job like accounting or technology or, or a doctor, uh, you're not going to be able to qualify for this REP because your, your income and your time is spent doing other things. Um, the second test on this is that you must perform more than 750 hours of services during the tax year in real property trades or businesses which you materially participate. So this minimum hour requirement prevents the, you know, someone that's maybe retired or someone that's got a, a second job or a main job um, who may spend anywhere from like 200, 300, 400 hours managing a rental property. It would disqualify for, from I someone see. like that, that that would want to try to do that. So a lot of times people will ask me, okay, well, what if my wife gets or my spouse gets a real estate agent license just by having the real estate license, does that qualify them as a real estate professional? And the answer is no. They still have to be actively engaged at, you know, at least 750 hours, which is a little bit less than part-time, if you will. Um, but they still have to be actively engaged in the I combination see. of your rental properties and being an active real estate agent. I see. So, um, I understood about active and passive losses a little bit, uh, but I just want to backtrack and talk about the passive losses and why, because um, I think some of the listeners would be worried uh, listening uh, to this, that, oh, any rental activity you may have or property, you would have passive losses. Uh, so just to bring that up, uh, because the passive losses are there because of depreciation. And depreciation is a, it's, a, it's an advantage we have as real estate investors, right? But, but most of the time you are still collecting your cash flow uh, and, and because of the depreciation, you are able to uh, pretty much uh, reduce or write off the entire cash flow and you would be negative for that year. Now you will have tons of passive uh, losses every year or not tons of depending on how many properties you have, but then you want to take advantage of the, those passive losses by applying those to your active income if there is a way or otherwise passive income and i think um, what i'm understanding jake is that becoming a real estate professional or designating yourself as an rep would uh, allow me to uh, move those passive losses into active losses and then in turn which will uh, help me write off my active income against active you know those losses right that that's exactly right so once you're a real estate professional 
um, and you're qualifying as this is your active business, you're actively participating in real estate, then that becomes, and the IRS triggers that for active participation. And then that's going to be able to offset other active income that you have as opposed to being considered passive. So this is, this is pretty good. This is really good. But yeah. Why wouldn't everyone want to become a real estate professional? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that really depends on, on you and your personality and your, and your, um, your experience and your, and the services you can provide and your goals. Um, so some people that maybe have went to medical school for 10 years, um, they don't want to switch over to real estate professional. They want to continue doing medicine and being a doctor and are focusing on biotech. Um, people in the technology field, they understand that they can make a lot more money or, or have a, a much bigger impact, um, or they're feel more fulfilled staying in the technology field and, and, and contributing more to technology as opposed to going into real estate. So maybe they still want to, you know, they, they understand the wealth building ability of the real estate, but at the same time, they don't want to make that their number one primary active income source. I see. Right. So it really depends on, on you and your personality um, and, and really what your goals are and what you want to achieve. And there, there have been a couple court cases where, where people um, have tried to challenge the, or the IRS has challenged them under audit and they've tried to come back in tax court where they say, no, I have equal participation. I'm, I'm working, let's say 1600 hours on a job or I'm self-employed for 1600 hours. And I also spend 1600 hours doing real estate activities and those court. Yeah. And those, those court cases are, are heavily litigated, but it all comes down to having the right records and keeping track of all the hours. And, and I don't know, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't keep track of 3000 hours. Yeah. How I'm I not able to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How I spent 3000 hours last year. It just, you know, most people don't do that. So that's, that's the biggest problem that, that comes in tax court cases is that people aren't spending the time recording all of those hours and all the, the travel, especially between those, between those locations. Oh, so, so let's say if I'm going from location A to location B, so from my one property to another property, does that uh, time count as well? It does. It does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's also important to know that, uh, you know, especially if you have a property out of state, right? So let's say you have something in Alabama or Florida, that whole time that you're, that you're gone, um, you know, and even traveling from your home to the airport, you know, waiting, waiting in line at the airport, you know, the TSA and waiting for the flight and all that stuff, you know, that all counts as, uh, as time spent as well. That's that's good to know. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. The the only thing is you don't want to abuse this. You know, if you have, (laughs) if you have a rental in Orlando and you spend a couple of days, you know, in in a Disney world with the kids, you you don't, you don't want to count all that time you spent. You know, I I already started thinking about that. (laughs) So, uh, I, I, you, you also mentioned about uh, can my spouse turn as realtor and be an REP um, if, if she's not doing anything else? And I, I know you mentioned that's a no-no. Uh, but if, uh, if someone is working a full-time job, can he or she show as REP? I don't think so either. Right, it's the same way as you said that you got to be able to spend more than half of your time on real estate activities. 
That's right. That's right. And most full-time jobs require at least 1900 hours, about 2000 hours is the going yeah. rate for a full-time wow. job. Um, so if you've done 2000 hours that it's very, very difficult to, uh, to say that you are also a real estate professional. So it, it, it has not happened officially in a tax court case yet where the IRS has approved that. So let's say I'm working, I have my S corp and I'm an employee of my own S corporation. Um, so I'm the only employee and my wife has a full-time job as well. Uh, can she or I be a real estate professional or can we combine our hours uh, and be a real estate professional? So you're, you're, you would not be able to combine your hours. It has to be for, for one person. Oh, um, and in your case, it, in by being self-employed, it, it allows you more flexibility than op opposed to having a full-time job, you know, because you can say that you, you can dictate how many hours that you're spending as an employee or how many hours you're spending in that business. Right. But, uh, but like I said, for the most part, the IRS is going to look to see that you have other self-employment activities that are non-real estate related, and they're going to be very... Um, very interested in your other activities and how much time you spent. And it's going to be very difficult to, uh, to keep track of all those hours. <laughs> and, so, yeah. <laughs> so this, this leads to the same thing though, right? And any, uh, and you and I have been chatting for a year now, um, about a lot of other activities too on the tech side. And every time you mention having the, uh, having proper documentation is the key, right? For anything be it home office, be it something else. So I think even in this case, REP, you got to log your hours. You got to have solid documentation to prove that, yes, you, you, you work this many hours. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The documentation is key. Um, and then the other thing that's really great too is uh, using a, um, a travel location or trip tracking app. Uh, one of the ones that I recommend is Mile IQ. M-I-L-E-I-Q. Um, Mile IQ is great for, for tracking your, your driving and your distance and, and those kind of things. So yeah, if you're, if you're considering you know, qualifying as a real estate professional and you feel like you might be on the fence, you definitely want to use a mileage tracking app because that's not only going to tra track the uh, travel that you're doing and where you're going, um, but also the time that it happened as well because it's all, it's all on your phone. I see. Yeah. So uh, does this mean every realtor could be an REP if they are not doing any other, um, any other full-time job? And if they are just in realtor, uh, they are a real estate agent? Not necessarily because just having the license doesn't mean that you're a real estate professional according to the IRS, right? I mean, if you, in, in casual conversation, we might say real estate professional and you might say, oh, well, you're talking about a real estate agent or a broker. In casual conversation, yes, but when it comes to the IRS, they're very specific on these number of hours, right? So even, even though you have your real estate license or even though you're a real estate broker, you still have to be able to you still have to be able to show that you're spending the hours doing the activities. Oh. You know, because because you could have a real estate agent license and just do one or two houses for friends or family throughout the year. And that wouldn't give you the 750 hours that you need. Nice. So you, you really have to treat it like at least a part-time job. Uh, so, uh, so let's say a real estate agent who is a full-time employee, or even if it's not a real estate agent, someone who is a full-time employee in a brokerage firm or a real estate development company, uh, can they say that, oh, 
you know, because I spent 2000 hours in my full-time job, I'm a real estate professional. Well, it would depend on what the job was. Um, if the job has, if, if the job is specifically for real estate, right? So if they're involved in construction or, um, investment or finding land to develop or, or working in kind of uh, real estate development, you know, that would all count as real estate, um, hours as far as what oh, okay. was, what was uh, qualified and, and, um, but it really depends, right? So if it's, if it's someone that does admin and bookkeeping at a brokerage firm, then that wouldn't count because they're not really actively engaged in real estate, even though they work for a real estate company. Oh, wow. So, so I think what this tells me is that even if you are a real, realtor, work for a real estate development company or a broker, you got to have a good CPA. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and track your hours, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Log everything, uh, have proper documentation. Uh, but it's important to know all this because I, I, you just mentioned about a court case and I'm pretty much there. There would be tons of court cases just around REP. Yeah, one of one of the ones that that I was following pretty closely um, was actually just recently here, uh, just a couple of mo months back. Uh, it was Connor versus Commissioner, um, which mm. is last year in 2018. And one of the two things that they covered a lot in the in the court case was the dealer versus investor issue. Okay. Um, you know, so in that case with Connor versus Commissioner, the taxpayer was selling raw land. And did it, did it generate an ordinary income or a loss because they were a dealer or an investor right. or was it capital gain or loss because they were an investor? Um, so yeah, I looked really deeply into that as far as what they were actually doing, whether that was part of their active participation and active business or if it was kind of just something on the side that they were holding and waiting on. Um, and then they also covered the real estate professional issue when uh when what was passive and what was non-passive and what could he deduct and what what couldn't they deduct so yeah so i i don't want to bore everybody going through all, <laughs> all, all the specifics on it but uh but yeah they, they really came down to um or the, the real takeaways from it were that you you really have to do this the 750 hours and um a material material participation and document those hours Okay, so 750 hours are the key and of course, uh, participation as well. Exactly, exactly right. Um, and the IRS is going to challenge whatever they want to challenge. Um, these, this particular, uh, the 469 that we're talking about here has been challenged um, more, if, if not the most, more than a lot of other court cases um, out there. And it's just, there's so much gray area with it. And it just seems like the IRS always wants to challenge it because you know, they want to have these court cases cited in their, uh, in their best interest. Right. Um, and making sure that they have it, all, the, all the money coming into them. So, yeah. So, unfortunately, a lot of these court cases don't come out in the, uh, um, in the side of the taxpayer. It usually goes, it usually oh, cited really? to the IRS. Oh. Yeah. So, even if, let's say, I have all the documentation and hours, it, it's there, there is still a good chance if I'm challenged, uh, they will always find something out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of tough. I mean, they'll, they'll find what they, what they want to find. Um, there's, yeah. there's been a couple of court cases where, where someone um, had a really good log of hours, but they, they went so deep into the log of hours, they found one day um, that had more than 24 hours logged. 
right? Oh my God. And is and little things like that can discredit discredit the entire yeah. uh, case. Wow. So yeah. So even if you keep really great records, there's always <laughs> the chance of one little slip up here and there. Right. Uh, you know, one thing that can happen. So. So that's why I think that my like Q app or you know an app which uh, allows you to log hours as well would be so good so that you don't try to go back a week after and figure out oh, what did I do the week before, right? Right, right. And it's interesting you mentioned a week because that's actually the IRS, um, they, they, uh, they have a specific word for it, I can't remember what it is, but that's actually, they, they want you to be doing record keeping at least weekly. Weekly, yes. Um, right. They don't want you to, to wait the entire year and say, oh, what did I do on Yes. January, <laughs> January third of, of this year is like that's exactly what I'm doing all the time. <laughs> yeah, even though I'm not an REP, but just trying to log my hours for my business and all, I'm trying to figure out what did I do a couple months ago? Where was I? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it gets harder and harder. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's something you want you, you want to do, you know, especially for yourself and your self development goals, is to make sure that you're you're recapping the month and saying, hey, what did I do and what did I spend my my time on and my resources on, um, and make sure that you're learning from that as well. But whether that's going to go back and track every single hour of every single day, you know, a lot of us don't want to to go through that kind of headache and hassle, and uh, you know, it's kind of monotonous trying to figure out every single hour. It is hard and it's painful yeah. <laughs> when, you to, when you try to figure out what has happened. Right? Um, yeah. So two things um, that I just want to mention on that, and we can, we can dive into them a little bit deeper if you want. Um, but uh, the passive income versus the active income that I mentioned, there's, there's a cool little uh, trick um, that you can do if your income is less than $100,000 if you're married. Or fifty thousand if you're married separately. Um, if you're what's referred to as a modified adjusted gross income or MAGI, that's the the last line on the first page of your 1040. Mm -hmm. If that line is ten a hundred thousand dollars, basically if you make if you make a hundred thousand dollars or less and you're married, um, then you can actually write off twenty five thousand dollars of income rental property. I'm sorry, losses. You can write wow. off uh, $25,000 of rental property losses every year. And then that starts to phase out after um, $150,000. This, this is why I'm not able to write this off, huh? Yeah, you make, you make too much money. <laughs> no, I, I wish. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a good little trick though. Yeah, yeah. So, so if your CPA has ever told you that you make too much money, it's... There, there's a lot of a lot of uh, tax deductions that are that are based on this this modified adjusted gross income or this AGI component, and uh, yeah, everything from child tax credit to uh, you know to um, to this rental property uh, loss tax credit and deduction. You know, there's a lot of things that they kind of get phased out as you make more and more money. Right. Yeah. Hey, so last question, Jake, I have is what are the steps to qualify as REP or designate myself as REP? Do I need to follow certain steps or guidelines? How do I do that? There's really nothing officially that needs to happen. There's no documentation or forms that you need to send in. It's really all about the, uh, the documentation that you have and the records that you keep. 
I see. Yeah. So, yeah. And once it, you have all the records and documentation, then do you decide at the end of the year with your CPA that you want to designate yourself as REP in the tax returns or do you, should you be meeting with your CPA throughout the year and making sure you are on track? Definitely. Yeah. If you're a real estate professional and you want to use the real estate professional, the REP on there, you need to be meeting with your CPA at least once throughout the year. Uh, because you need to be looking at making sure you're tracking your hours correctly um, and then also grouping and assigning the properties and the activities together as well because there's a lot of you know once once we are are once we hit the the 750 hours test um, and we're comfortable with that and we still want to take the REP um, there's still a lot more that we need to do as far as looking at all these activities and how we're going to group the activities what activities are passive and what are active. Um, like I mentioned in that Connor versus commissioner case, the taxpayer was a real estate professional. He was a real estate developer, but he had lots of different things going on. Um, and that's the same case with real estate agents and real estate developers and brokers. They might have rentals happening. They might have some land that they're holding on to for development. You know, they might do some management or some consulting or other things like that on the side. So yeah, it's, it's not, it's not just about keeping track of the 750 hours, but it really goes deeper into of all the, of all the activities you've been doing, how many hours do you spend on each specific activity? So it's, it's not as easy as it seems because, you know, I, I attended a lot of tax workshops and, you know, or even some meetups and they talk about, oh, you know, if you have five, six rental properties, just designate yourself as REP. It's pretty easy and you can just write off the entire you know, all your passive losses, but it seems, you know, it, it is not as easy as it sounds. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the problem is, is when you get tax advice from someone that's not actually doing your taxes, um, they can kind of say whatever they want to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then all, and cause they're not under audit. Um, but yeah, that's the problem is, is, is you can really put whatever you want on your tax return. I mean, you can say that you made a million dollars or you spent a million dollars. You can put whatever you want on your taxes. Um, but when it comes down to audit, if you get audited, they're going to want to see all the documentation and all the proof and everything behind it. Um, so that's the biggest problem is that, uh, that you really never know when you're going to get audited or what, you know, checking a, a box on a, on a tax return, if, if or not, that box will get you audited. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what I thought. So. Yeah. And, and, and the biggest challenge with that is, uh, is a lot of the, the real estate investors that we're going to be working with want to have that, that loss on a schedule C because the schedule C will offset their other income. And that right. schedule C form is the most highly audited form out oh, of wow. all the other uh, tax forms. So yeah, basically just with, you know, that the losses on the schedule C or schedule E, you know, those losses are, are going to be um, more looked at more scrutinously than, than anything else, really. Um, so so when you have a Schedule C, better be ready. <laughs> exactly. You got to keep got to keep all your documents, everything like yeah, that. Too. Exactly. Yeah. You, have, you need to have all your ducks in a row. <laughs> yeah. So cool. I think I, um, I don't have any other questions. Uh, did okay. you forget anything? Do you think we should add anything to real estate professional? Yeah, um, I just want to kind of wrap up with, with this idea of a passive income generator um, or a pig. So we've been talking here about all this 750 hours and, and all the real estate professional things. And, 
And the thing is, I, I have a feeling that a lot of your listeners are just like, I don't want to do that or I can't do that. I've got other things going on. I'm, I'm really into the biotech or technology or consulting or I do other stuff. And there's just no way that me or my spouse um, are going to do the real estate professional. And that's totally okay. Um, if you don't, if, if you don't do anything like the real estate professional, you're just going to get passive losses, right? And your passive losses are not bad. They just stay passive. They just stay inside. Until you sell the property. Until you sell the property, right? Is that, is that a bad thing? No. But the, the, the problem is, is there's really no short-term benefit to it. Right. Um, so I want to throw this idea out there to your listeners is this idea of a passive income generator or a pig. Um, and this can be many different things. I know you might be have, having a, a guest talk about or a separate podcast on oil and gas. Yes. Uh, oil and gas and minerals and, and mining are great as passive income generators because um, there's something that, that you can invest a small amount of money in and you can have this passive income um, that's coming in. Um, and this is great for offsetting your passive losses from your rental properties. You can have this other passive income and they cancel each other out. And then you will have the benefit of more income, but it's uh, tax free, if you will. And I'm glad that you brought up oil and gas. I'm planning to do a podcast on it. Um, another thing I have learned, and I may be wrong as well, uh, you can call me out, but that, you know, let's say if I invest just 10 grand in oil and gas, I can write off as much as 65% or 75% of that during the same year um, against my ordinary income. Yeah, there's lots of different, um, I, I'm not going to go into the specifics of right. it, but there's, there's lots of different tax deductions uh, for oil and gas, and there's different rules for the IRS and tax rules about the exploration um, of or for oil and gas or for natural gas. Um, so there's lots of different things as far as what they're mining for, how they're mining for it, how they're exploring for it. Um, and so, yeah, so a lot of these, these investments are really good uh, for a tax deduction as well as passive Inc income. Passive income generator. Yeah. Okay, thank it, you for that tip. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so make sure that you're looking at the, um, the passive income generators with, with someone that's going to look at it uh, in your best interest, you know, through your eyes. Yeah. A lot of these are just sold um, by people that are going to be earning commission on, on the sale. So you definitely, you know, want to make sure that you're looking out for your best interest, but also working with an expert that understands the tax benefits um, of using something like, a, like an oil gas for a pig. Um, and making sure that it's going to help you the best when it's, when you're looking at other income that you have or other losses that you have, um, and, and looking at your whole tax position holistically and not just one, um, one item specifically from the, from the other, because when you're looking at your taxes, it all comes down to one form at the end of the year anyway. Right. Oh, this was great. Um, so Jake, how do people, uh, my listeners reach out to you? Um, yeah, you can reach out to me. Uh, you can on my website. It's uh, adamsabc.com. That's A-D-A-M-S-A-B-C.com. Um, I've got a bunch of uh, tax strategy tips, videos, um, other really cool stuff on there you can, you can look at. And there's also a way that you can uh, book an appointment with me um, and, uh, or just a phone call. If you have any questions on that, I'm more than happy to help out. Thank you so much, Jake. Uh, this was great. And um, have a nice weekend. Great. Thanks, you too. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you are interested in receiving a signed copy of my 
Amazon number one best selling book, Resilience Turning Your Setback into a Comeback, please email me at alpesh at the rate wealth matters.com. I'll see you guys next week.